Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com daily bonuses are waiting no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details You're listening to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you in-depth interviews with the people behind the hottest shows on Broadway, off-Broadway, in London, and around the country. I'm your host, Variety's theater editor, Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking with Jonathan Groff, the Broadway favorite from shows including Hamilton and Spring Awakening, and the star of David Fincher's new Netflix series, Mindhunter. Jonathan is here in the studio to talk about Mindhunter, his enduring connection to Hamilton, and more. Jonathan, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me in episode five. Episode five, Stagecraft. It's so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> your, your new show on Netflix, Mindhunter, is based on the true story of the two men who expanded our understanding of criminal science uh, by sort of probing the psychology of serial killers. And it feels kind of like a departure for you. It's dark subject matter, and it's David Fincher, which we'll talk about, but he has a very specific style that it seems unlike... I mean, the way most people work, right? Yeah. Did it feel like a departure for you as you were going into it? In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. David Fincher's world is so specific, and he has this amazing way of taking actors, really every actor that I saw him work with, and kind of pushing you to your limits and daring you to do things that you've never done before, which is thrilling and kind of an actor's dream and when when it's a director like david fincher as an actor i felt really safe kind of jumping and trying new things because he's so brilliant that i feel like it's you know he says jump and you say how high can you give me an example of a moment? so yeah of course so he was like you smile a lot and you are charming as jonathan the actor in the world and this character has absolutely no, not that he has no sense of self, but he's not savvy enough to know how to charm people. And so you smile a lot in your life. So you can't smile as Holden Ford. This is, this is not a charming, sunny, uh, people pleaser. This is a intellectual, curious deep diver. Uh, so you need to turn up the, that, you know, aspects, uh, and stop smiling was the running joke through the entire first season. Cause sometimes I smile and I don't even know that I'm smiling. It's so, but this is his thing. He sees everything. 
And he's like, you're smiling. And so he'd be like, if even like, he'd be like, okay, and we're rolling and Jonathan stopped smiling and you're still <laughs> smiling and okay, action. You, you couldn't smile at all, period. Period. Well, I mean, that's an exaggeration. There are right. moments when the character smiles. Where the character but, is smiling, right. But, but, you know, as an actor, I, I have these tics that I don't even know exist and that kind of are your toolbox, the notes that you hit often, right? And I think when you say this character is a departure, it's an example of that is that I'm, I'm used to doing certain things a certain way. And David has an ability to, to spot those things and eviscerate them and allow you to show a different side of yourself. I mean, it, in the ways that he's casted a bunch of his movies, even like Justin Timberlake and in the social network right. and Tyler Perry and gone girl, all like really amazing and surprising performances that you weren't really expecting, but even everybody in Mindhunter, I mean, he's giving all the actors really great opportunities to step outside of what they're used to. And what did, what do you feel like you found in yourself as an actor working that way? Um, it's actually a whole scene about it in Mindhunter where Debbie, my girlfriend, spoiler. talks about... Spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't a, too much of a plot spoiler, yeah. but she says, you know, she's doing this study in class about women smiling and looking to, to be nice and warm and uh, accepted and how when you, when as a woman, she describes in the scene, when you don't smile, it makes people feel uncomfortable and weird and strange. And we have that whole culture of the resting bitch face is like a thing for a woman. Uh, and so I'm so used to smiling all the time that it really did teach me about a different part of my personality, which is just one sort of little anecdotal thing that I've learned during the course of the making of the show. And what was it specifically that drew you to the project? Were you fascinated with the subject matter or working with the director? Or I was, what? yeah, definitely was David yeah. seeing, I said yes to the audition before reading anything because I knew that it was his baby and his vision. So when I saw David Fincher, on the email from my agent to audition, I said yes. And I was doing Hamilton at the time. Right. And I read the... You went straight from Hamilton into filming that, right? I did. Am I, actually, am I correct actually, about that? I actually left my contract in Hamilton a couple of months mm -hmm. early in order to go to Pittsburgh to start shooting. I left before the, like, Tony uh, sweep of right. Hamilton uh, to go to Pittsburgh. But then I, when I read the material that they sent me, the scenes were so interesting and psychological and the characterizations of the FBI agents uh, in particular Holden were, were they were just so dense and complicated and so the material plus David Fincher it was kind of a no-brainer it really was like the, well this is the only thing that I would want to leave Hamilton for because it's this this is also exciting in its own special and unique way right and we talked a little bit about this before we turned the the recorder on but David Fincher's famously meticulous as a director and as we were discussing you took a month per episode to film which is what four times what it takes most tv shows right yeah uh, d tell us about that What's it wasn't that like? the intention it wasn't like they said okay we're going to be here from may until march doing an episode a month it kind of was like as it just sort of was how it all worked out we shot a lot out of order so we because of the weather so they needed to shoot the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth episodes last to capture fall and winter. So we did episodes one, two, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then two, and then three, four, five, six, uh, because 
just like and, and you you can see when you watch the show they really wanted to capture the atmosphere of the outside during those episodes as it related to the story and just the time of year and the mood of the whole piece so because of that there was some rewriting that happened and an evolution and jumping to the end we then had to cover our tracks and fill holes that we'd missed and et cetera, et cetera. And so, uh, and so it just ended up taking a little bit longer than we anticipated because we had to, to sort of, uh, fill in holes in the schedule and the scenes that sort of arose out of that sort of time disparity. But there are still the stories of, you know, a hundred takes to get one very small shot. Exactly. Right. Are those stories true? I mean, they are, it's complicated because, um, or it's actually not complicated. That's the thing that's so interesting about it. David's really, David works in a really uh, specific way. It's very pragmatic. It's very focused on problem solving. It's a very uh, unromantic and very direct. And so it's not like he's this omniscient presence on set speaking into a microphone saying, do it again, do it again, do it again, you know, do it again, do it again, do it again. That, did and you then, kind of think that's what it would be like? I really, in? I mean, you know, I had, I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. And the minute that I met him, it was just immediately clear. He's, there's just no bullshit. He's very direct. And so the moments when we did do multiple takes, it was very clear every time why we were doing it again. It wasn't a mystery, whether it was for camera or for, or to change a line or for an actor or to everybody, to everybody find their rhythm together. Um, it was just a constant evolution. And sometimes we would get things quickly and sometimes we wouldn't, but he was so committed to getting it as right as he possibly could in that moment that you just did it until you felt like you got it. Do you think he is a good director to work with for actors? Oh my gosh, yes. Absolutely. In that in that he what we talked about earlier mm. really well first of all he sees everything. He sees absolutely everything and he's got the he would and I'm sure he would like roll his eyes so deeply at me saying this <laughs> but but he I think he can do everybody's job better than they can. That's such a hard thing to find in uh, one person. But he would have notes for for, for picture, for the crew, for the actors, for the writers. I mean, just notes for everyone that we're so 10 steps ahead already of everybody else. It's just mind boggling to be on a set with him and to watch his brain work. So there's that is really exciting to be around. And then he's so in tune with the emotional and technical aspects. He can just talk to you in whatever language is appropriate, which is so for the for that particular actor, which is really rare to find as a, a director, someone that's so intellectually fluid and can approach things in a in an in a in a psychological way or in an emotional way or in a just physical technical way. I feel like Mindhunter arrived at a really interesting cultural moment because Netflix. <laughs> released the first season October 13th, just as Hollywood started grappling with the Harvey Weinstein revelations and the entertainment industry and kind of workplaces in general were dealing with kind of rampant harassment and abuse and the culture of it uh, these days. And here's the show that's about violence perpetrated almost entirely against women, right? And the mm -hmm. psychology of the men who perform those acts and what's going on in their brains and what are the cultural forces at work in creating these men, right? Totally. Did your work on the show, do you feel like your work on the show gave you some insight into what's happening right now that maybe you wouldn't have had otherwise? Oh gosh, no. I feel like it's what's like that thing of, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. Right. I'm not an, I'm not a, 
profiler, but I play one on Netflix. Right. That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't have you in the studio without talking about Hamilton, right? Oh, right. I mean, um, for the for the listeners who don't know, maybe you were living under a rock. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Jonathan played King George in the original Broadway cast that included David Diggs, Leslie Odom Jr., Renee Lee Goldsberry, Philippa Sue, and of course Lin Manuel Miranda. How much? How much of a part of your life is the show these days? You Oh, on a daily basis? It's yeah, so funny. It? That's the weird thing about theater is when you do a show, you go every day. Right. And it's ritualistic and you see those people every day. I just officiated Steve Pasquale and Pippa Sue's wedding. Oh, well, all right. And that was the, that was like three weeks ago. That's and that something. was the, Yeah, that was the first time I'd seen... That was... Uh, Philippa Sue was... Uh, yeah, it was the, Eliza. Eliza, yeah. yeah. Uh, I set them up I, and then I married them. I did not... You did? Yeah, totally I set did them not up. know that story. Yep. And, uh, and so that was actually the first time I'd seen... I hadn't seen Renee since... Mm. Like, we texted and we actually talked on the phone at length. Isn't she in a Netflix series? Exactly. Because yeah. she was yeah. actually considering taking that job. Ah. I was like, girl... You got to get in with this Netflix thing. It's so amazing. Uh, uh, but yeah, we talked. So I talked to them and we stay connected, but it wasn't until their wedding that I'd seen all of them. Uh, it's like family. But yeah. so Hamilton, I did in the shower the other day, put on the Skylar sisters. Oh, all right. While yeah. I was like getting ready and helpless. I think I listened to that as mm -hmm. well, but mm -hmm. not nearly as much of a daily situation as it used to be while I was in the show. Yeah. I feel like for so many of those actors that we were talking about, Hamilton was such a life changer of an experience. Was the same true for you? It was different for me because I did Spring Awakening on Broadway right. when I was 21, I think, when the show right. opened. And that, for me, was like every Broadway dream I had come true, changed the trajectory of my life and my career, and was like the jumping off point for everything right. for me in so many ways. And I think a lot of the cast of Hamilton experienced that with Hamilton. I joined Hamilton a week after they opened Off-Broadway, replacing Brian Darcy James. Was it just a week? Wow. Yeah, it's weird, right? Yeah. And so I did, the, I did it downtown for two months and joined them on Broadway. So there was this like, I felt like I was in it, but I also felt like a fan of it as well because I got to see it before I was in it. And I was only on stage for nine minutes. So I wasn't right. pouring my blood, sweat, and tears into the show every night. So it was it was a really unique, amazing, and specific experience for me. I spent as much more of my time watching the show, because I would go into the audience and watch it when I wasn't on stage, than I was actually in the show. How elaborate was that costume to get on and off? Could you Well, the cape was really big. So I never yeah. wear the cape. Like the, the cape right. they would put on me right before I actually walked on stage mm. and the crown. And then the minute I stepped off stage, the they cape took it came off. off. Yeah, right. exactly, because it was just so giant. Uh, but then I would sneak out into the box of the theater and sit behind audience members. They had no idea they were that <laughs> King George was looming over their shoulder. I did that several times a week. The whole run of the show because it was such a thrill to watch that show. Were there certain parts that you like that you made it a point not to miss in the show? Do you have yes? Certain... My favorite sequence <laughs> <laughs> was from well, it was like so like I would finish my song, my first song, "You'll Be Back," and then I would take my cape off, and then I would like grab a like yogurt or something, and then I would go into the audience and I would watch from, uh, it's like the helpless, mm -hmm. satisfied sequence to me is my favorite yep. part of the show i think it's incredible yep. just the rewind that whole mm -hmm. thing and then i would usually stay through wait for it which is also one of my favorite songs but sometimes i would stay all the way up through yorktown but that was the section of the show that i never missed right right 
And were there any parts that you wish you had played? Uh, Angelica. Yeah? Yeah, that's my dream role. Right. Yeah. That'll I could happen. probably perform the rap, yeah. yeah. I keep joking with Tommy Kale, who is the amazing director of Hamilton. I'll send him text being like, all right, so the London cast, you know, I'm free. Needs an Angelica? Yeah. Is that the... <laughs> I'm ready. Well, but I know that Hamilton pushes boundaries, so why not have exactly a like right. 32-year-old white dude play Angelica? Is that interesting? I don't know. <laughs> would you but would you go back in the show to play King George at some point? Have you thought about it? Would you I, you know, it's so it's such a unique experience to do it with the original cast that I don't know, if Lynn went back in for like a holiday season, we shared a dressing room together, uh essentially on Broadway where he was in the the, the big, big room and I was in the small room and we shared a bathroom and we called it the year that we shared a studio apartment in Midtown. <laughs> uh, and so if he went back in and we got to sort of live in our space together again, I would be down. Right. I love him. <laughs> Have I you really, seen him lately? I, I feel like I see you in like YouTube on? videos occasionally singing together. You, you know, yeah, we like, do. Yeah, no, you know? I saw him. I saw him. I actually got him. This is so insane. Should I be telling this? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, I got him to write a rap for Stephen Pippa's wedding oh. to be performed by Kelly O'Hara. What? Stop that we, it. That we surprised them with. Yeah. This is headline news. Because I, <laughs> I was like, I was officiating their wedding and and they were so sweet and they didn't want to make a big deal about anything and they wanted it to be fun and not too formal and whatever. And they were like, and you know, all of our friends are performers, so we don't want to ask them to perform at the wedding because why make them perform? And I was like, okay, 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 okay. And, and then I was sitting with their wedding planner and we were just talking about it. And I was like, I'm going to get Lynn to write a rap. And I think Kelly O'Hara needs to do it. So that the, the sort of like, so I had lunch with him the week before that. That's the last time I saw him. How is Kelly's rapping? Incredible. Yeah. Yep. I have an amazing video of her. <laughs> I have an amazing video of her in the in the coat closet of the Wythe Hotel practicing her rap that is just gonna is just one of the gems on my phone that I'll have forever. <laughs> Why haven't we seen this yet? Why hasn't she performed it live? Yet? This That's is the really, yeah I know. Uh, Lynn calls me uh, the Snowden of Broadway because a- <laughs> I have all these videos of people, but I am not on social media and I don't share anything, and I've got it all right. on lockdown. Right. Uh, you are not. <laughs> you are not on social media at all. Period. I'm not. No. And was that a conscious choice, or is that? A- yes and no. I I didn't have it. It didn't exist when I was in right. high school. Uh, I had like AOL Instant Messenger, and that was the extent sure. of it. So I think that if I grew up as a teenager with Facebook, I would probably still have it, just because it was right. what you did. But but I don't know. I was in my 20s when all of it came out, and. The idea of curating my life for the internet is so, uh, it makes me feel anxious. And, and you, you don't get pressure from, you know, I don't know, Netflix to, to no, promote your show. And, no. Yeah, okay. No. Yeah. yeah. Because I, I also think that it's amazing and it can be really effective social media, but you have to really be into it right. as an actor. You know, I have lots of actor friends that are on it and it's incredible and also, though, I when I because I actually was during looking when looking was yep. kind of like, yeah, Ooh, is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? That was the closest I came to getting on social media. But I had this revelation, A, that it's not something that I feel really passionate about. And you can't really hide that when you're on social media. Yeah. And B, um, 
there's a lot of people with giant social media followings who have flop movies and TV shows. So it's not the key to making it's, it certainly can be a useful tool and an element of it, but I just wasn't an into it enough to really make it effective. And ultimately it isn't the only thing I think that makes or breaks somebody's career or any particular project. Right. We should also talk about frozen because great. I think people can forget that you are in frozen because it's your voice and not your face. Exactly. But you are about to be in the you're in that little half hour or what is it 20 minutes that is released this christmas right? yes Olaf's it's frozen adventure Olaf's it's frozen adventure yeah. yes good job yeah thanks it's attached to the film coco have you seen it yet i haven't seen coco yet i'm gonna go to the premiere in a couple weeks yep. actually that'll be my first time seeing it but i have seen Olaf's frozen adventure and i think it's incredible yeah i think it's incredible you it's, you kind of went from frozen to hamilton it's kind of like being in like back-to-back mega blockbusters a little bit so I mean, weird yeah it, what was your experience of the Frozen phenomenon? Well, it's so it different. I mean, yeah, yeah it's with, an entirely different thing. Like, yeah, with, nobody stops you on the street, right? Right, exactly. They're like, you look like that cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, your voice sounds so... Yeah. yeah. It's actually hilarious when, when parents are with their kids and they're like, oh, Sarah, this is, this is the voice of Kristoff. And Sarah's like, no, it's not. He's not <laughs> blonde and he's not a cartoon. So that doesn't exist. Doesn't make any sense. Um, it's hard to draw the line sometimes with three-year-olds. Right. To, connect the dots in that way um but yeah frozen was a total surprise when it came out at thanksgiving a couple years ago and then let it go was this big sensation and it was so cool to be a part of it although hamilton was so different and theater is so different in that way right because you're promoting it and you're experiencing the success of it while you're doing it or you're experiencing the failure of it while you're doing it so i always think that actors that do theater you know you can't be thin-skinned because whether it's a hit or a total flop you're doing it eight shows a week right it seems like theater is still an important that you think of theater as still an important part of your career do you feel like you want theater to be a part of it going forward and oh absolutely and, a, and an important part yeah absolutely theater I learned so much from doing theater. It's so interesting because the David Fincher experience with, in Mindhunter was, was so like doing theater and that we got to do the repetition and really explore the material in a very meticulous and deep way. And theater to me is almost religious. You have to be careful what you choose to do in the theater because you repeat you know it's like when you go to church or something and you repeat mantras over and over again and when you do theater it's part of why i really wanted to do hamilton on broadway i wasn't anticipating doing it on broadway i just came in as a replacement for brian darcy james and then it worked out and hearing material that is meaningful and uh intelligent and challenging changes you because just by saying things over and over and over and over and over again really gets into your gets into your body in a cellular level. So I love doing theater for that purpose. Like Spring Awakening, I did that for show for a year and a half, and I was playing this rebellious student, uh, which was so the opposite of every part of who I was at the time, and still am in certain ways. But he was a person who didn't let the world define him and really like followed what he believed in. And, and, and just like parts of that character have stuck in my soul in a really specific way from having done it eight times a week. Yeah. 
And so, you know, you will go on to do the se- the second season of Mindhunter, yeah? Well, I guess it hasn't been, like, it hasn't been technically... Oh, I thought it had. Yet. I believe yeah. I saw that... Oh. If it's, like, I being written about, it. that there it is, is being one, about. but, yeah, oh. they haven't done the official... Oh, all right. It's happening, so I guess TBD. Okay, TBD, so... TBD, but I, I hope, hope it goes back, and I'd love to go back, because yeah. it feels like there's a lot of story left to tell. Yeah. What else is on your plate that we should be talking about? I'm doing a concert with Sutton Foster uh, okay. in December at Lincoln Center. That's a huge deal for me because I got Sutton Foster's autograph at the stage door. Oh, I've Thirly heard Modern this Millie. story. Yeah, yeah. I saw her yeah. six times in Thoroughly Modern Millie. And <laughs> we've, so we've like crossed paths over the years. And she, she was set to do uh, a songbook at Lincoln Center for in December. And she asked me to be a part mm-hmm. of it and, and create something with her. So I'm super pumped about that. And then I'm doing this, um, I'm doing a lot of musical stuff. I guess in a subconscious way, I'm missing singing. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing this uh, a couple of nights of the Bobby Darren story at the 92nd Street Y at the end of January as part of their lyrics and lyricist program to sort of investigate him, not only as a sort of iconic 50s, 60s uh, music superstar, but also he also wrote a lot of his own music and his personal life story is incredibly intriguing and fascinating so we're sort of exploring his life at the 92nd street y in january mm, that sounds cool yeah oh. is there a secret origin to the nickname groff sauce that everybody knows that i do not lynn create yeah. lynn coined it I, that's like, during in that, the heights yeah. days and i think it's come i don't really know uh but i think it came from remember when people used to say like cool beans and awesome sauce mm-hmm it was like that. Remember Awesome Sauce? Yeah. That was oh, yeah. Like the thing that people said. Yeah. So I think he ch- changed it to Groff Sauce. So that so back in the Heights and you were doing Spring Awakening, did exactly, that overlap? Yeah. Okay. We right. met through Karen Olivo, who was doing In the Heights at yeah, the right. time. They they were moving from off Broadway to Broadway. And I was doing hair in Central Park with Karen oh, Olivo. Right, with Karen. Right. And she was like, You have to come you have to meet my friend Lynn. He's gonna come to the Delacorte and He's doing a video where he's singing Zac Efron's song from High School Musical 2. Oh, I remember it. this. I yeah. remember this. Yeah. And, he's, and I know that you've never met Lynn, but I promise he's really great and he's really smart. And In the Heights is a great show. And he's making this bet on it video as a commercial for In the Heights on Broadway. And he wants you to be in it. <laughs> and that was such an appropriate first meeting of Lynn. It really like, you know, that's like never forget your first impression. Yep. That sort of like is Lynn in so many ways to me, getting to meet him and be like, wow, this guy's so amazing. And we're making this video and he's and he's dressed like Zac Efron and he's like running through Central Park. And it was a it was a very appropriate first meeting. I, I think now we have to end this episode here to give everyone the opportunity to go, you know, onto YouTube and find yes. that, right? Because it's still there. So, Hi, uh, my name is Lynn Miranda. I know you don't know who I am, but I wore these <laughs> pants and I'm willing to dance like an idiot oh. if you just give me the chance. Yeah. That was part of his rap. All right. (laughs) That was well done. But that that was was also an old rap because it says, hi, my name is Lynn Miranda. I know you don't know who I am. Yeah, no, that's true. Those days are so over. Do you work on that in preparation for Angelica? Is that the... No, I just work on the Angelica material. No, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here, Jonathan. I really appreciate it. It's great to talk to you. It's great to talk to you, too. Thank you for having me. And we'll see you soon. I'm going to resist the urge to rap the Angelica song right now. No, come on. Do it right no, now. No, it's okay. No, they can I'm do it as they say, like, I'm going to save it. I'm music? saving it. I'm saving it. No, it'll be for who? Lynn? <laughs> for when I do for it. For Tommy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I have to, I, it's, not, it's not like polished enough yet. Right. No, that makes sense. That's <laughs>
That was Jonathan Groff, the Broadway favorite who's currently starring in David Fincher's Netflix series, Mindhunter. On the next episode of Stagecraft, I'll be talking to Lynn Ahrens and Stephen Flaherty, the songwriting team behind Broadway's Anastasia and Once on This Island, the 1990 musical opening on Broadway in a new production in December. Until next time, see you at the theater. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.